The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These podcasts are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. When, um, I, when counseling patients, I think you have to address all those concerns. So the goal is to not do any extra fertility treatment. The goal is to only anticipate what you might need. Fertility preservation is an important part of reproductive health and choice, and we discuss it today on the podcast. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. For this episode on fertility preservation at the time of fertility treatment, I spoke with Dr. Julie Lamb, who's a physician at Pacific Northwest Fertility and IVF Specialists, is director of the Center for Fertility Preservation and clinical faculty at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. I found our conversation to be incredibly enlightening, and I jumped right into the topic with her. So I was reading some really interesting publications leading up to our interview today, and I want to ask uh, you about how are clinicians and REIs offering fertility preservation options at the time of their fertility treatment? Um, you know, Jeff, I think that a lot of times we are so consumed with helping the patient in the here and now, we forget to take a step back and ask uh, the patient about what their overall family building goal is. So taking time um, to kind of ask them how they envision their future family and kind of individualize or personalize treatment plan um, based on their overall family building goals, I think can be a really important part of the REI physician. So hypothetical scenario here, uh, let's say a patient comes in for a consult. Is there a criteria or screening method that you would use or recommend counseling to preserve and plan ahead? I think that it's just an individual conversation with each individual patient. And there's so many things that weigh into that decision for a patient. So I start by just asking them what their family building goal is. And, you know, initially I think patients, especially when they've been trying to get pregnant for a while before they've seen me, they're like, well, at this point, I just want one. Uh, but when they take a step back, they're, you know, oftentimes will be like, well, you know, I'd envision my family as someday having two kids. I just didn't anticipate that it would take us this many years to conceive. And now I feel like my only chance is to have one child. And so I think that having that discussion with them and um, as they learn more about the fertility treatment options, I think getting to know about some of the fertility preservation options at the same time as fertility treatment can be really helpful um, if that's something that they're interested in. You know, sometimes it's just like we want one and we want to just move toward that goal and that's great. And other times, you know, the goal is more than one, but that's outside of the scope of what they can focus on right now. But other times, especially when it's not a financial burden in fertility treatment, so somebody who has coverage, um, it's a little bit easier to say, okay, well, my goal is two, and I'm 39, and I've already been trying for two years, and I realize that when I'm 41 and when I want a second child someday, it doesn't necessarily get easier. And I think those are the patients that we at least need to offer them the option and um, so that they can understand that we do freeze embryos, and if they're making embryos for a first baby, they might, might want to make sure that they have enough 
to save for a second baby because as you know, it just doesn't get more efficient or easier with advancing maternal age. So certainly that's not for everyone. Certainly sometimes it's cost prohibitive or the time that it takes is they find that prohibitive or you just don't know how your goals will change as you start IVF. If it's not a very efficient process for you, then you might want to move on sooner. But I think that at least offering that to patients and having that be part of the initial discussion is totally uh, legitimate and helpful in, in family building and family planning and making um, and decisions about reproductive choice, essentially, on the other side of the spectrum. You know, you think of reproductive choice being birth control and termination and options, but I think that as we talk about fertility preservation, it's a uh, reproductive choice. And if they want to plan their family, future families, then uh, we should offer to help them do that. Family planning, family counseling, reproductive choices, it just sounds like the, the role of a clinician needs to, to be so multifaceted. How would you describe the role of a clinician then in the counseling process? Um, I think that there's never a right answer for the next treatment option. Everyone is so different and you really have to listen to your patients, what their goals are, what their needs are, and then just continue to reassess at each step of the way. Um, you know, a patient might find that um, the IVF process is really uncomfortable for her and she, you know, didn't feel as good as she was hoping to. And then that might shift where their goals are. Or, you know, I've had patients that got a new job and then all of a sudden fertility treatment was covered by insurance and that helped them, um, you know, make some fertility preservation efforts in addition to the treatment plan. And so it, everyone's a little bit different. And I think just listening to your patients as we all do and making, uh, realizing that IVF isn't for everyone and there's some also easier ways to build your family. And, you know, sometimes a patient sees me for fertility treatment and they decide they also want to go through a fertility preservation cycle and we'll freeze some eggs or embryos and then they'll go back to those simpler methods, hoping that maybe the IUI or the intrauterine insemination would help for the, you know, their first child, and then they would have something saved for a second when they continue to age. Or so there's a lot of different ways for patients to move forward and making sure that you listen to them and readdress their goals and concerns at each step of the way is certainly how we do it as clinicians. So overall, clinicians have a choice about the number of patients that they can counsel, and they don't necessarily have to counsel you know, everybody. What are some of the ethical concerns then that come up just from your perspective based on how you handle, you know, your your process to, to being selective about counseling patients? Right. I think that you always want to um, talk to patients that are considering fertility preservation, that the biggest concern is that there's a chance that they won't need these extra fertility preservation cycles. So a patient might have no trouble conceiving a second child on their own. And so the younger the patient is when they're starting this, the higher chance they have of conceiving naturally um, a subsequent pregnancy. So when, um, I, when counseling patients, I think you have to address all those concerns. So the goal is to not do any extra fertility treatment. The goal is to only anticipate what you might need. And there's no crystal ball. So taking a step back and just making sure um, that no one feels like they only have one choice or that this is the only way that they can build their family. I never tell somebody that this is what they should do. It's always 
uh, reproductive choice. And it depends on a lot of things. It depends on the timing and the insurance and the, how they feel during the process and what their family building goals are, and how long they've been trying and other medical indications for fertility treatment. So there's a lot of things that weigh into that decision and just realizing that, that it's the patient's decision to make. And we're just there to give them all the information and to provide success rates and help them understand how fertility is impacted by whatever other confounding medical conditions they have and how it's impacted with age, I think is our job. Like I wanna be the information that they need to make the decision that's right for them. How long on average does counseling take with a patient? I know again, we're talking about that there are sometimes some many different factors, but I'm just curious. Um, That's very different too. You know, I start with an hour with each new patient and we kind of talk about you know, a lot of that time is about their history. And then we move on to things um, like fertility treatment options and what their family building goals are. And every patient's different. Some people are ready to move forward and we just do, um, you know, another 30 minutes prior to their IVF cycle or prior to next steps. And other patients want to talk about it for two years, you know, at several different appointments over time. So everyone's different in what their needs are and where they need to be and in their understanding. We use, you know, a very informed, robust consent video consenting process. And I always tell patients, you know, just learning more about the process will give you kind of um, a gut feeling about what you're comfortable with. And you never have to feel like you have to make a decision. Our conversations are just more about learning more about your options so you can make the right choice for you and your family. As I was getting ready for our interview today, and, and again, I was going over some some interesting uh, publications and articles recently. Uh, one thing that keeps coming up is this importance of e- embryo banking. So uh, I want to take this opportunity today to ask you then, how do your patients react when you counsel them on the importance of embryo banking for family building? Yeah, so I think traditionally when someone hears the word fertility preservation, they think of younger women undergoing fertility preservation and saving eggs. But I think that one of the most important groups to make sure that we're talking about fertility preservation options are the patients that are sitting in front of us every day seeking fertility treatment. Because those patients have a higher chance of needing to use it in the future. Um, I think that um, when they're already planning to make embryos um, with their partner or with donor sperm, um, when they're trying to conceive, it gives you more information to save embryos. So if some, you know, it's another conversation with the patient. If a patient has an ethical dilemma with having extra embryos, then we save some as eggs. Um, And if they already have a partner and they're planning on building their family and they want two kids, then we save anything extra as embryos. So it's also very personalized choice. Um, But I think that offering that to those patient populations is an important part of the fertility preservation consult in addition to the fertility treatment. As we're sitting here, we're discussing these details on the importance of fertility preservation for uh, family planning. I kind of want to I want to go back for a moment more to the focus on uh, patient education and awareness uh, in counseling. You know, physical, emotional, financial, cultural factors from the from the patient's perspectives. You were describing earlier about the need to be as thorough as possible in educating patients on fertility treatment options, how there's always multiple options and never just really you know, one option. Are there questions specifically that patients should be asking or maybe should be aware of when meeting with their REIs uh, in this planning process, in this counseling process? 
That's a good question. Like, what are the questions they should be asking? Is that the question, Jeff? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think the more you know about your own fertility, um, the more um, the more empowered you are to make decisions. So I think that in one generation, we went from having kids in our 20s to having kids in our late 30s and 40s. So a lot of my patients are at the end of that fertility window already when I'm meeting them. Um, and those might be the patients that um, have a higher chance of needing um, health to build their family. So I think the first step is just educating yourself as a patient about how fertility changes with age. You know, I even see physician patients that don't understand why they're not, why they're having difficulty conceiving in their 40s. You know, it's not something we talk about in medical school very often or that we talk about in society. It's, you know, such a private topic that all of a sudden, you know, you feel healthy, you look young. And it just doesn't equal good fertility. Like none of us feel like we're in our 40s, like it should change anything, um, especially when we're eating right and exercising. And so really understanding that that isn't um, how fertility works and that it's biologically an inefficient process and that IVF doesn't really overcome age. So a lot of that initial conversation is just education. And I think all women should have access to that type of education, certainly we don't want to ever have a fear-based approach to fertility preservation. I think it just needs to be educational. And so patients can make a decision that's right for them when they're, you know, when, when they're learning about how fertility changes with age or how, you know, their PCOS or their endometriosis or their prior ovarian surgeries affect reproductive potential and success rates with fertility treatment as they continue to age. So there's a lot of things that impact fertility and in addition to age. So taking those into consideration for the individual patients as they kind of learn about their options, I think it's really important. It's interesting that you mentioned people say that, you know, well, I eat right and I, you know, I exercise and I do all of these things uh, instill their frustration that mounts from not being able to uh, become pregnant. Uh, are there any extra steps that you have found that are successful uh, for a woman or a family to undergo in fertility preservation or in the fertility preservation process uh, and in preparation for the future? Um, I think, well, education is key. Looking and uh, learning about your body and learning about the process takes away an element of stress. Um, you know, we used to say, you know, pre-pandemic, we used to say, you know, make your social calendar lighter and your work calendar lighter so you can better tolerate all of this process because trying to juggle it with a busy social life and busy work schedule makes it more stressful. Um, in the middle of the pandemic, none of us are doing very much, so it's a little bit easier to moderate activity. Um, but in terms of managing the injections and managing the process, people do better when they um, aren't as busy and anxious about hiding it from work and can take a few days off if they need it. Or um, I think that's always helpful. I found over time, like talking to a counselor is also helpful, like a therapist. So really paying attention to self-care and um, to all the kind of unexpected um, psychosocial issues that surround fertility and family building and family planning is an important piece of this. So we're used to working hard and getting the results we want. And so to have something that's outside of that and outside of your control is stressful for patients. So managing that and how and understanding 
you know, what your goals are and how you feel about different treatments is really helpful for patients. So working with a mental health provider, I found to be very helpful in addition to education. This this whole topic of, of fertility preservation is is so uh, large and important uh, in in reproductive health in general, and I, I think that this has been a fascinating uh, conversation today. It's definitely been enlightening for enlightening uh, uh, for me, and I hope it's it's enlightening for people who who listen to the show, uh, Dr. Lamb. Thank you so much for being able to take time out of your schedule to be with us today. Uh, it's my pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Julie Lamb, who's a physician at Pacific Northwest Fertility and IVF Specialists, Director of the Center for Fertility Preservation and Clinical Faculty at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. I am Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, other information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. 